Welcome to the Lighthouse Experiment, a Freedom Center Church podcast. Welcome back to the Lighthouse Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Parkin. My co-host, Ashley, is under the weather, but we have a special, special guest, Mr. Chris Petrello. What is up, sir? How are you, Jim? I'm good. Yeah, I don't know that I'm a special guest. I'm just a guy, man. Nothing special <laughs> about this. So I, I appreciate you having me on. I, I've been following this since it started, and oh, right on. glad to be a part of it. Appreciate that. So I don't like look at, um, like, I don't follow the numbers or anything like that. I did like initially, right. When we first started, I would like constantly refreshing and seeing where we were and how many sure. plays and it was to get in my head. So now I don't know. We record. I never listened to it. Never heard an episode. Yeah. I take that it. back. I had one guy, I had to go back and listen because I made a comment in the early, like before we were under kind of the church's umbrella. Mm-hmm. I made a comment that that opioids weren't a problem until white people started overdosing. Oh wow! And then there was some offense taken, and I was like, "Man, I don't remember saying that." So I listened <laughs> to that episode. And I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, that was like in the first thirty seconds." Sure, but isn't isn't that um, a true sign of your calling, though? You know, you'll you'll speak to one, or you'll speak to millions. It doesn't right. matter how many are listening, as long as your message is getting delivered. Right. And so that's exactly. what make, that's what makes this true. So it's great that you're not following the numbers. I mean, I guess until, I guess until you start getting sponsors calling you, then there's no need to worry about that, right? For those big guys, that backfires every time. I'm sure, like. it does too. It so does. anyway, so what I wanted to, what we're doing, I'm kind of in a season, if you will, where I'm going to have people from our EMS community on. I've I've noticed from feedback that people want to hear from their own people, kind of. Sure. So tonight we'll just kind of go back through and just about the, with you about the EMS career and how you ended up in education. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my, my path in EMS is probably a little bit different than many. It's one of my favorite stories to tell. Uh, I, w- I graduated from college. I, w- I went to central Michigan university and I graduated uh, with a degree in sociology and I was working for, Kettering University as a as a college recruiter uh, right out of school and I was dating Leah at the time and she was working well she had just she was working for Holly Volunteer Ambulance which had at the time just been absorbed by NACFA in Holly so she was running uh, as a volunteer EMT for the fire department and I joke because I I tell everybody that I got my EMT license so that I could spend more time with her. And I still find that as, as the truth, you know, her and I were talking about this last night and uh, she sees it as a little bit of a different story. But the reality is, is, you know, when you're, when you start dating somebody and your, and your relationship gets serious, you like to see what their hobbies are about or their profession is about. And so that was really the drive. It was of course to spend time with, with the girl I liked, but it was also to, get involved with her, you know, that side of her life. And she was working as an EMT right out of high school. She took her EMT class in high school. And then uh, by the time she was 18, she was working for Holly Volunteer. 
And then uh, it just kind of progressed from there. So she was already doing that. So I was working as a college recruiter and I took my EMT class through McLaren. I started working volunteer with the fire department as well. I'm still working full-time at the college. And then as our lives kind of progressed, uh, I actually got into EMS full-time because I needed a better schedule. I had moved colleges. I went from Kettering down to Walsh College, and I was driving to Novi every day. And that was the time Leah was finishing nursing school, and uh, we got pregnant with Bryn, our oldest. And I needed to be home a little bit more often. So 324s and the 324-hour shifts on the ambulance made it a little bit more conducive for the life we needed. Right. So at the same time, my EMT instructor, Paul, had gotten hired at Swartz, and he got me in at Swartz. And that's where I did my road career. Um, worked as an EMT full-time for a little bit before I got my paramedic, and did paramedic for a few years before I got my instructor right. license, and then got off the road. Right. Now, I remember you were going through your paramedic program when I first started. Yeah. Because you'd be always in the books when we'd be over at... Sure. I'd be out at station two or it was station one and two at the time. But. It was, yeah, we had the dual station. Uh, that was, I had a, I had an, my paramedic instructor was um, very hard nosed and he demanded a lot out of us as the paramedic instructor should. And that's Wally Wheaton. And he, uh, yeah, he challenged me. Uh, so yeah, I studied constantly. I had to, and I, not, I still never felt like I learned enough. You know, I, I thought that I could always try harder. Right. But since, you know, the other part about the uh, EMS story is that um, I, I became personally motivated on the road. I'd, I'd run shifts and we'd, we'd run, you know, basic calls and paramedics would show up. Uh, and it's, it's a testament to how, how uh, some people are just really bad at their job. So what happened is, you know, we'd run a couple calls and you'd end up on, on call with a, a really bad paramedic who just who didn't know what they needed to know. Right. I remember one call and I was laughing about this too, because it's like, how did I run that call with Jim? I don't remember. But I remember one call we had a, a bradycardic patient. I mean, heart rate of 32, pale, diaphoretic, and a paramedic showed up and wanted to clear it. They wanted to re- get the refusal and was adamant. And as an EM, as a basic, I was like, that's not right. We need to take this patient in. And mm-hmm. Uh, the paramedic refused. No, 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 this patient's fine. She's fine. Let's get the refusal. To the point that we not physically pushed him out of the way, but it's like, we're taking her, whether you're coming on the truck or not. And he didn't. He just He's like, all right, cool, you guys got it. And just let us go. <laughs> so what it did is it, it added some personal motivation to me. I said, okay, if uh, I, I think that I can do the whole paramedic thing probably better than that guy. So I need, I need to. Like, right. better people need to be on the road. And then the same thing happened with instructing. You know, I um, and I don't and I guess I should backtrack. I don't know that I was a better paramedic than that guy, but that was the, the driving force to get my paramedic license. And same thing with my instructor. I'd take some really cruddy CE classes and I'm like, oh, I could probably teach better than that too. So it's, you know, I got my instructor license and then you know, just, you move from there. Yeah. Yeah. I can remember coming up. I felt the same Well, You know, I got the EMT and that was cool. But then I felt like I kind of the analogy I always use is like you're you're living your life, you're doing your job with a learner's permit. Sure. And there's like so much more that you could be doing. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you mix in a little bit of 
of some of these guys are coming on scene with you and it's just like it's so clear that they need to you know to perform and they just wouldn't mm-hmm. you know i think i think that in the county in genesee county now we're like far removed from that era you know mm-hmm. for sure um but that comes from like what you're saying that comes with people being having that personal drive and motivation Mm-hmm. to be better and there's obviously there's been some advances and in, in the way we yeah. do business I, when we both started what was it like if there was st elevation and lead two or whatever you like ran hot on a, on a three lead too it wasn't even <laughs> we didn't even know we weren't reading what you know weren't even reading right. st elevation properly we thought we knew everything right but right yeah the good old days oh yeah it's so different so so then you go to you went to Genesis straight away, right? Yeah. As an instructor. So I got off the road from Swartz. I did my entire road career, uh, the volunteer stuff at Knock for, for a minute, Swartz full-time for, I think, about seven years. And then I uh, got my instructing job at, at Genesis, and I taught EMT and paramedic there for probably close to three years. And, um, yeah, graduated quite a few classes. It was an uh, awesome job, but then... Something presented itself, an opportunity at Livingston County EMS, where I had the opportunity to uh, do their quality improvement and education internally. So I I jumped ship and went down there. It was a great career advancement opportunity. And I did that job for a little while. Learned probably uh, a majority of what I, I know now I learned at that place in regards to uh, managing, you know, management, managing humans, uh, the just culture concept. And uh, that all came from Livingston. They, they were very progressive and they, they taught me a lot there. I, my phone rang one day at Livingston. So I was about three years there. My phone rang and it was the uh, director of education from McLaren Flint, who said an opportunity just opened up and uh, we want to interview you. And I wasn't looking for an, for a job, and I told her, and she says, uh, well, let's at least come in for an interview, and I did. Uh, and that was another opportunity I just couldn't pass up. I wasn't interested in leaving Livingston. Uh, however, it was, this, it was career advancement again. Uh, and you know this, the, the ladder in EMS, the career ladder in EMS is three rungs, four rungs at the most. Right. Uh, so you got to take opportunities when they present themselves. So I did. I took the... Uh, job at McLaren Flint, and I ran the EMS education department there. Uh, another opportunity presented itself, and I became an operations manager for Patriot Ambulance. And then another opportunity presented itself uh, shortly <laughs> after that, where right. uh, I got the job that I'm in now, which is managing Genesis's EMS education department. So my first instructing job, I'm now back uh, in the role of manager of that department. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So do, what did you find or other than, I mean, obviously it's much different to be bringing people up and teaching them and getting them started in their career, but was the education piece, was that always part of the, the vision for you or is it just as stuff presented itself? It was always as it presented itself. It was always the challenge of, I think I can do that better. Uh, when I went to college, my intent was to be a school teacher, and uh, I got into uh, some education classes, and I realized I didn't like it, didn't want to be a school teacher. 
so I've always had that passion to to help others uh, through education. But as I got into EMS, the the goal for EMS was to uh, for the career to be short lived until Leah finished nursing school, and then I'd go back to whether it was the the college life without, uh, in regards to my job at Kettering or Walsh, or I was looking for sales jobs. I thought I was going to be a salesman. And uh, yeah, EMS is EMS will grab a hold of you, and when you when you realize that you you've got a calling for this job, you stick around. Right, uh, and that's where I found myself. I'm, you know, 21 years in the business now, and uh, I don't think the sales job is is happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's very interesting, right? Because I feel the same way. I felt like because I was not good at the classroom stuff, mm-hmm. like by any stretch of the imagination. But and then it just turned out that I could just kind of just play. Yeah. Once it came down to it, I could kind of just do the job. So for me, as you know, most people know, I did time in the military and then got out of that and then struggled really because it was just jobs that sucked and the only thing you could really get, you know, sometimes you find out as a veteran that that in large part, especially when I was getting out, people don't really care. They told you that everyone's going to want to hire you, you know, and, and it's hard to get a job when your skill set is shoot, you know. I can shoot stuff, <laughs> you know, I didn't want to be a cop. So just working kind of bad jobs. I got an opportunity on Grand Blank Fire. Yeah. And then they presented the op because the dream there for years was to start running medicals. So our chief ran a bunch of us through EMT. So that started that. And then once you see it, right, for me, once I was doing clinicals in the ER at Genesis and a trauma came through and, and to see all those pieces at at work and stuff like that, I was just yeah. hooked. Yeah. And then once you're hooked, and like you said, once you realize you're called to it, mm-hmm. you know, like a snap of the finger, seventeen years goes by, and yeah. you're still, yeah. You know. And and you just kind of showed up out of nowhere. I, I had been working at Swartz for uh, a couple years just before you got there, and then you just kind of showed up out of nowhere, and then you became part of the inner circle and. As if you'd been there forever. Very weird. Yeah. 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 So we both have some interesting paths and in how we got to where we're at now. Right. And I, so I have to, I have to admit, I, so I binged some of the, some more of the podcast today, you know, I wanted to kind of see, um, I wanted to see the, uh, the temperament of the room, you know, I wanted to know what I was getting right. into. Uh, so yeah, it was, um, it's good hearing some of the stories, from you that I had never heard before. I mean, we're friends. We go, we go quite a ways back, but uh, yeah. some good stories that I'd never heard before. And one of them is that pathway to got you to here. It's cool now to be, you know, I shared this, I think recently, but to be kind of entering that autumn, if you will, kind of the, the end of the career, you know, I, st- I have some years left, you know, but I can see the finish line as far as actively being a paramedic. So, so shifting into this kind of, chaplaincy and stuff like that is like, I never saw that coming. That just kind of, yeah, this is where we are now, you know, and it's Mm -hmm. weird. It's cool. I would, uh, you know, it's really, it's really cool to where it's progressed, but I find myself like concerned with the other medics and EMTs and how like where their heart's at and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Last week's episode, I shared, there's deputies that I've worked with in the past that sometimes I won't cancel just because I need to see their face. Uh, 
Because you haven't and, seen them in a while? Is that what you mean? Yeah. yeah. I've been just missed them, haven't seen them. Uh-huh. That's it. Don't need yeah. any conversation. You know, I'm, I'm pretty far removed from the road, um, and especially in Genesee County. So that's something that we both grew up on. You know, we, we sat around the EMS room and talked right. with, with crews from the other agencies, and we talked to the county paramedics, and that definitely formed the bond. And I think the advent of the the EPCRs, those computers in the in the ambulances, mm-hmm. shut that down, and that's the start of where the wedge was driven uh, between right. companies and uh, what you're describing, where we just don't get to see the people as often. Didn't get to see the people right. as often. Right, and then then you know obviously mix in the call volume, sure, you know, and all those things, and and last year was obviously a challenge with all the extras and, and the stuff mixed into to how we do business. But yeah, for sure. All those things, you know, they play a factor. Yeah. So can I, let me back you into a corner. Do you, do you have a prediction of your timeline? Like when, when do you think that you're, you're going to sunset, you know, and hang up the badge? Um, I would like to say I have five years. Yeah. Five solid years. That would put me, that would probably put me right around 56 years mm-hmm. old. And then, you know, uh, Carrie's doing, she recently, I think you knew this. She left Sam's and mm-hmm. went back to school. Yeah. She's sure. teaching at Carmen Ainsworth high school now, but she's also through Liberty university doing a, uh, like a doctorate level program. So she oh, can do cool. admin. Cool. Good so yeah. she doesn't feel like she wants to be in the classroom forever. And she's mm-hmm. just taking the same thing. Just, opportunity presented itself and yeah yeah so i think that so once i got into the education side i think that that was the other part of it for me it's like okay how how can i make this my career i want i want to be an ems forever i know i knew that i didn't want to provide patient care forever i knew that i couldn't do the ambulance work and i didn't feel i felt comfortable teaching but i didn't think that that was going to be it for me right and so yeah I've, i've uh I've looked for as many opportunities as possible, uh, taken as many of that have been presented to me. And I'm, I'm in a role now where I'm, I'm able to create some opportunities too. So it's, it's a pretty cool thing that I've got going. Right. And are you guys the only hospital based program left? There's one more up in Bay city and it's, um, uh, I don't remember. I don't know the name of the hospital up there, but there's, it's Bay, Bay something is the other hospital, uh, system. It's a, it's just one hospital but they run a paramedic program as well. Uh, McLaren's, they ran their last program. They just graduated it last year, so they're done. Mm-hmm. And uh, that leaves us kind of as the, the forerunner. Right. Mm-hmm. And what is it? Is it just like corporate red tape that causes those programs to, like with McLaren, what is, I don't understand what would happen. Sure. Uh, I don't know. How, how deep do we get into the weeds here? <laughs> uh so I, all right I, I mean i'm i'm in the outer you know I'm, I'm in the thick grass here looking in and, and what i what i saw happen was uh, medstar opened their flint base they opened a flint okay. classroom and uh, they they provide ems education there and uh, I'm, I'm assuming mclaren didn't see a need anymore because oh yeah that makes sense you know their their corporate partner of MedStar already runs a program, so why does MedStar need to? Right. Uh, and so when you're a, when you're a hospital and your you know dollars and cents matter, 
and you can cut uh, a program or a salary or a whatever to save what money is needed. And rightfully so, you got to make good business decisions. Right. Uh, unfortunately, I, I think that that might have been the driving force. Yes, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So what would you say years later, what do you see out of the people coming through now? Do you think it's the same? Do you think the passion? Like the, I mean, because you came in, when did you get into EMS? Are you, so are you like post 9-11? Uh, 99. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, so I guess I was still, I was driving to Kettering when, um, my job at Kettering when nine 11 happened. And, uh, I remember listening to the radio, I was listening to Drew and Mike on the radio and Leah was home that day. And I remember us talking on the phone on my drive up to Kettering when that happened. So, yeah, so I, I was volunteer at most. I, I had not been bitten by the bug yet. And I gotcha. wasn't working full time yet in EMS and, um, in regards to my, my EMS career, that didn't have as big an impact on me as it probably did many others, just because I was, I wasn't in, right. I wasn't in yet. So it just kind of was, it was just an, a big event that happened, you know, right. socially, but it wasn't something that happened in my community, my career, my, my group of people yet. So. Right. And it's interesting too, because like, um, my actual hire date to the Grand Blank Fire Department was on 9-11. That's crazy. So all that stuff's happening. The chief is talking to people in New York to see if the Genesee County USAR urban yeah. search and rescue guys need to go help. And at the same time, interviewing me, right? Yeah. But I don't think the motivation, I don't think that really inspired me because I had spent time okay. in the Army, right? Mm -hmm. Mogadishu had happened while I was in the army and all these things. So in my mind, it was just another thing like tragic because it's happening, you know, in America on our soil. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I don't think that was like, I got to go do this because this happened. I think I definitely hadn't been bit by the EMS bug yet. Mm -hmm. Do you know anybody that, that has that, that the nine 11 was my reason to get into a couple people. Yeah. I don't know that I do, but they're these, these guys are all like, they went the full-time fire department route. Sure. I mean, they're medics, but they're, they're fire yeah. guys primarily. The, in, you know, retrospectively looking at nine 11 as an event and how it applies to EMS, it definitely made me realize how small of a bubble we live in. Right. And, I, and uh, you know, when we talk about a brotherhood and we talk about this, you know, EMS family, I agree that it exists. Uh, but I also think that we have no clue, right? We we both grew up in Genesee County, and we work for mm-hmm. one ambulance company, and we only know a little bit about right. that. And we have no idea what EMS really is in New York or uh, Louisiana or take your pick, you know, Austin, Travis, all these right. big agencies that are really doing it big time. Uh, right. And so we've got our little bubble that we live in, and we've got our brotherhood here locally, but we don't really have a clue what what EMS is on a global scale, right? Right. Absolutely not. And, you know, even with that, just being coming up, you know, I grew up a Genesee County EMS provider. Mm-hmm. And then you remember, cause you were there, I had decided, well, I'm going to give Livingston County. Cause at the time Livingston County was thought of as like the Holy grail. That's my right? fault. If, you know, I, I lured if, you down there. If you can get in there and it was, you know, and I, and part of me, honestly, I mean, you did, you did lure me down mm-hmm. here, but, but part of it was, can I hang? Mm-hmm. 
And I can remember being there and just in the FTO program, knowing that I didn't want to, I didn't, mm-hmm. I couldn't wrap my head around the way they did business. I didn't like how they did business. Sure. Sure. You know, I didn't, it's just great spot. Just wasn't for me. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm glad that I learned that quickly. I'm glad that I actually stayed contingent at Swartz. So yeah, yeah timing was right for you. You know, that was the, uh, we assigned you with an FTO that was relatively challenging. Uh, we thought that the FTO process would be super short for you and your time with her would be very quick. And um, she's, she's very bullheaded. And I think that that was the exposure that you got from uh, of Livingston County EMS and it's the, it was the wrong exposure. So it's a, it was a poor management decision. You know, we had, I remember being set up with another guy and then, he had his wife had something happen so mm-hmm. then and then yeah mm-hmm. yeah it was a very interesting place i will say that but yeah uh but so so progressive at the time and uh had a very involved medical director and i guess i uh, i'm a little bit biased because i was on the qi side of it right and i, and I was in the protocols constantly i was working with the people that made the rules constantly. And I was able to read every single call that came through. So I really got exposure to what was actually happening. So the call volume was, was um, relatively high. The acuity was relatively high. The paramedics were challenged. They, they run a paramedic paramedic truck, which was, is pretty uncommon uh, nowadays. Right. Uh, so it was just a really progressive system in that sense. And I, I really felt some pride working there. Are they in the same position now or has, has things changed? I'd say they're in a rebuilding phase. Their director retired. Uh, they lost, they had their director, their operations manager, those two both retired. Their administrative manager moved on uh, to another company. So they, their entire top structure is literally rebuilding uh, over the past three right. years. So um, they've got some amazing paramedics that work there and they're just trying, I think that the staff there is trying to figure out what the new management needs and wants of them. Um, you know, the, the residents are still the residents and the call volume is still the call volume and the medics right. still run the calls the way they're supposed to. It's just as a company, how does the company look? Uh, rebuilding is the answer. Nice. Mm-hmm. You know, you know how it goes and it's, little EMS bubble and there's, sure. there's rumors fly and all this other stuff. But I don't, you know, yeah. I don't have any connection down there to know if anything is factual. So mm-hmm. uh, I still, I stay actually very connected with them. Um, they're, we spot, we sponsor their American Heart Association programs. So we have some oversight of uh, the education that they deliver. Right on. Yeah. Yeah, so I know that from there to you guys came one of the, I would say one of the finest educators that I've ever experienced. And that's, you know, Marie with her, right. That's yeah, her name. Marie. Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She can make any, and she, she's been at Swartz teaching the, the event training mm-hmm. and taking people from barely know how to turn it on to, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like in a matter of minutes, yeah. it's like a 45 minutes and, she's making EMTs proficient enough that they can troubleshoot and stuff like that. So it's oh, absolutely. Uh, that's, 
that's definitely the pride of what I'm doing right now is that I'm surrounded by uh, a staff that's amazing and uh, I can trust them with, with every responsibility that they have. And Marie's one of those people, Ron Green, Jamie Mosier and, and Logan Finkbeiner. They're, uh, they're an amazing set of educators. And I just, I know that, that I don't have to keep tabs of every minute of what they do uh, because I can trust that they're uh, delivering education the way the department expects them to deliver it, right. but also in the sense of what the students need. Um, they build relationships with everybody that they come in contact with, and they're, just, they're, they're top notch. Right. And that's really where it's got to start, right? Mm-hmm. From, from that education piece. And, and you know what I mean? Oh, for sure. You know, when you, so we're, we're challenged with having to measure uh, data and statistics constantly with our education programs. And, and one of the things we have to, to measure is uh, the attrition rates, how many students actually still, you know, stick around, how many make it from start to finish. And uh, if you have a program that's, uh, you know, 50% of the students leave or never, you know, never come back after week two, right. you have to ask yourself why, why does that happen? Um, and, uh, you know, what experience are they getting that makes them not dig in, not want it? And there's two schools of thought, you know, one is the, um, this is the way it is and you need a reality check from day one so that you don't invest any time into this. And the second train of thought is, well, let me sell you on how cool this career actually is. And, um, you know, there's educators that do both extremely well. Um, but, uh, you know, we've, we've had students that have, um, left one program with educator A, uh, this is the way it is, and if you don't like it, leave, and gone, and they've just left it and gone into educator B where it's more sympathetic to uh, here's the career. And they've passed and they've become career EMTs and paramedics and they've moved on. That's cool. Yeah. You know, something I've been trying to do with a couple people, um, is when they express interest to me is like, Hey, this is what I think I want to do with my mm-hmm. life. And I've been like, well, how about this? Come ride along a couple sure. of times, come ride and see, Yeah, you know, and for some people one, well, Sarah Kern, she came through, she went through both programs and stuff like that. But I think I'm a big proponent in that is see it, you know, be out here with us and, and get involved, you know, as, as much as they can, but yeah, you know, I can remember years ago, I think me and Shannon Keys, we had a girl that rode with us, came and did her FTO program with us and had done the thing where she went to EMT and paramedic, but never saw a truck. Wow. And then we ran one call that was pediatric, nothing, nothing terrible, but just the kind of the stuff you know, the byproducts of the call, how scared yeah. the family was and all those things. And she tapped out right there. Oh, yeah. So she has spent all that time, mm-hmm. you know, we have a kid that was pretty sick, not terribly sick, you know, definitely manageable. And she was like, that's it. Take me back to Hill Road. I can't yeah. do this. I have a similar story. I, uh, we had a new hire come in, a uh, young girl. In fact, I knew her from high school. She was a couple years younger from, than me from in high school. So I was glad to take her on and, and we worked, um, we ran a couple, you know, simple transfers and then we got a uh, pretty challenging chest pain call. Not that the patient was uh, terribly sick, but 
yeah, like you just said, all the all the surrounding ancillary things, uh, from the, the house being a hoarder house, the patient being pretty heavy, and we had to carry him and couldn't get the stretcher in the house. Uh, you know, stepped on the IV line, so the you know we had that challenge to deal with. We had to restart an IV, and um, he just wasn't a cooperative patient. So everything just compounded to make it a challenging call. Uh, and she was, yeah, she uh, she's like, all right, I'm done. Take me back. It literally that was it. Three calls in, and she had been through EMT class. She finished it. She's licensed, and she comes to work at her first job. Three calls in and says, "Okay, this isn't what I want to do." So yeah, it's a it's a great idea to to give people exposure. There's a you know I've talked to some some smart people, and they they think it'd be a good idea that EMS become an apprenticeship, unlike a lot of other um, uh, vocations. Why not do an apprenticeship where you do a little bit of education, but then you go and do whatever, 18 months on the job and then become certified from that. And there's some, and there might be some, some warrant to that. You know, how would that, would that really be any harm to, to change the educational model? No, you know, so. because that's really what happens, right? Everything's great in class. And then, mm-hmm. and then you have get blood on your hands or, yeah. you know, you know what I mean? Or, or worse, you know, like, so I don't know. What do you think? Is there a way to prepare people for that? Do you think seeing the worst of the worst, or is it just something that people just, I mean, you can tell stories, right? Yeah. But But, you have to be careful with that. Uh, There's a, there's a danger in telling too many stories and making the career sound like it's a hundred percent that. So I guess let's take it the other way. 90% 90% of what we do is just smiles and handshakes. Right. And the 10% are the, uh, the, the holy crap moments, right? Mm-hmm. So the, if you tell too many stories, they think that 100% of the time is, is lights and sirens. So you have to be careful with that as your methodology. Right. Uh, the other thing we have to do as a, you know, as a paramedic program is we have to measure um, the call volume at all of our clinical agencies. So we send, we send surveys out. And we ask how many chest pain calls, how many pediatric calls, how many OB calls for every agency where we have uh, clinical associations with. And the idea behind it is that if their call volume doesn't give the student exposure to what they need to see, then they shouldn't be a clinical agency. Right. Uh, gone are the days of, uh, you know, what, can we sign up my company because uh, that's where I'm going to work when I graduate. So can they be my clinical site? Well, we have to measure and make sure that the clinical site's appropriate for what you need. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of people that uh, that will bash uh, accreditation, becoming an accredited EM education department, and that's just one of the values of becoming accredited is that you're you're required to measure everything to make sure that it's the appropriate thing for what your student needs to see. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's the best answer I have now, and. Uh, uh, you know, if, so if I, if I had the magic wand, yeah, we'd, we'd put them with, with the agencies that see the most high acuity calls. Right. You know, it's, it's interesting too, to have spent a career at Swartz to see how things have changed, how so? you know, cause it used to be that we by no means would see the most high acuity cases cause we'd be running transfers and that's yeah. flipped. You know, we really don't, we have, a, a contractor and affiliation with Hurley and that's mm-hmm. it. So we have calls, a lot of them, we have calls coming from there, mm-hmm. but 
but also the the medic units are seeing so many more emergencies and stuff like that. Yeah. What do you prefer? I prefer I prefer being challenged. Yeah. I prefer having to, to do the IVs and use the skills and figure things out. Sure. You know, but then at the same time, there'll be days in the week where if I did basic transfers all day long, that's also, uh-huh. you know, so I think I still like the challenge, you know, I still get excited over all this yeah. stuff. It's crazy, uh-huh. but this far in, and it's still, I still get geeked up over a good trauma here or there, you know, sure. I don't want to see it all the time, but, but as they, as they pop up, you know, at this point, I just want to, I feel like more called to just lead well and mentor mm-hmm. well and, and try to set a, a decent example. You yeah. know, we have some, some young, uh, soldiers, if you will, coming up that are not six months in and, and behave of this. They're come super jaded and burnt out. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I've been working with trying to like, like you don't have to fall into the trap of thinking that's how you have to behave. Mm-hmm. And I don't have the answer to this either. However, I do think that this is a concept that plagues the industry, especially in, at least in Michigan. I don't know what happens outside of Michigan. You can become licensed as an EMT at 18. And depending on what paramedic program you take, you could be licensed as a paramedic by the time you're 20. Right. And then that's it. Where do you go from there? So you've, you've now put two years into a career and then you maybe work as a paramedic for, you know, two, three years. So, but you're 23 and you've seen a bunch and you've done a bunch and you're, you become jaded by the time you're 23. Right. What, other, what other profession does that? What other, yeah. do you know any mechanical engineers that, that graduate from college and be like, <laughs> oh, I hate designing cars or, you know, any, right. seriously, do you, can you think of another profession that has that as its path. You can you can reach the peak of your career in regards to licensure by the time you're 20, whatever. Mm-hmm. And if we if you don't work for an agency that gives you opportunities or creates opportunities, then you're going to become jaded quickly. Right. And so that's what I like about some of these companies that are, um, you know, the, the trench rescue, the even something as simple as like a um, honor guard. You know who that's a, that's a proud thing. You know, you're the one that takes the truck to the funeral, right. um, give people opportunities and things to look forward to. And so I think that that's, that's the downfall. That's the plague that really hits people. And again, I don't have an answer. I'm not saying that we should, uh, you know, change age limits because that, that would cripple the, the industry. Yeah. It would. Well, and they, it's already suffering. It seems mm-hmm. like, I don't know. However, I think the, uh, you know, we're, we're getting involved in the community paramedic stuff and yeah. what else they have people will still sending people still to critical care, mm-hmm. you know, albeit that that's really not a thing or a program that sure. they're still giving people the opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I agree with that. I yeah. think there's gotta be other stuff to be yeah. involved in, you know, there's a, uh, management book that I've read and it describes this it's called the goalpost theory and that it's one of the reasons why in America uh, depression is so high in adults is because we constantly think that we have to move the goalposts back 
I've done this, so now I've got to do that. I've become an EMT, so now I have right. to become a paramedic. It must be next. I'm a paramedic, so I must have to be an FTO. I'm an FTO, so I must have to be a field supervisor. And you constantly push your goalposts back, and you've never been happy because you've never really reached the goal you set for yourself. Uh, when in reality, and this is what I love about you, Jim, is that um, I know that you've, you've dabbled, right? You're like, okay, maybe I have to, have to, but then you realized, okay, that might not be for me. Let right. me just be a senior leader as a paramedic. So I think that's why you've been able to accomplish what you have and you've been able to have a successful career because you've been able to reach your goal and set your goals within that paramedic life, right? Mm-hmm. It's not about setting the next level or I've done this, so I have to do that next. You know, I've, right. I've reached my sales quota for three years, so I must have to become the sales manager when in reality right. you're a horrible manager. So that, that's, that's this goalpost theory I'm talking about. And that's what I think happens. You're, you're right. an EMT, so I must have to become a paramedic. I mean, so on and so forth. So, and I, and I can honestly, I can say that for me, when that kind of paradigms changed, was coming off of trips to Haiti and then a, a mission trip to Cuba, and being kind of around dudes. Like in Cuba, I've, I've told several people this. I met a guy that was in his mid sixties and had spent a lifetime as a cistern digger, as a ditch digger. Yeah, and just was, you know living in a communist country, but just full of joy because that was his thing. Yeah. You know, I started to realize that in our country that we have this kind of rather than working to live, we live to work and to achieve and to, like you said, keep leveling up and leveling up and Mm -hmm. leveling up. And then I found myself to be good where I was and just kind of like taking that as best I can leadership Mm -hmm. position. Sure. Because, you know, as you know, I was a field supervisor at Swartz and hated it. it yeah. Was just terrible. Yet everybody would come to me, but I just, I didn't like, just not for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. All of the responsibilities around that title. Right. Right. When, when you want to be a mentor to the, to the up and coming right. crew versus the let me push the paper as well as do that. So I get it. Right. I look at my job too. It's um, I I believe that uh, anybody in my department could probably do my job. In fact, I know they could, uh, but I also know they don't want to. <laughs> Otherwise, right. you know, like take Ron for example. Ron Ron could do my job and, and run circles around me, um, but he flat out said, "No, I don't want that job. I I like teaching the classes. I want to be in front of those people, and I want to educate right. them the way I know how to. And I, I don't want to do payroll, and I don't want to." I don't want to have to hire and fire. And I, so, um, but that's me. I, I enjoy that stuff. I love, I love running numbers and I love trying to come up with new ideas to, uh, to strengthen the department. And that's where I live and thrive. So we, awesome. right, we, we each have our own thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's important, man. Usually we close the episodes just by like final thoughts. Yeah. Kind of a thing. And that's to me, like the, the, what I'm trying to do here leadership wise has like is usher in the next generation, mm-hmm. you know, and, and give them everything I have, teach them everything I know. So then I can just walk away and know that Swartz will be okay. And yeah. they'll still be outstanding paramedics, mm-hmm. you know, out on the road. Um, I don't have that. 
that thing. Sometimes guys have that thing is you don't want to tell them, teach them too much because you don't want to be overtaken. Uh-huh. You know, for me, it's the opposite. I really want people to come through and be more advanced and better yeah. and go farther than I would have ever imagined. Yeah. You, you know, you raise, you not only raise the ceiling, but you raise the basement. Right. Right. The, the low level of what they know, like, uh, become so much higher than where we were like you could be a horrible EMT or paramedic and be super low on the the knowledge level and if we do if you do what you're saying and you just push as much into those people as possible their basement becomes so much higher which means that their ceiling is going to raise yep but yeah uh but in regards to final thoughts for me it's it goes back to that don't rush it uh you have to just in order to make this a career you, you can't level out so early in your life. Uh, if you want to put 20, 30 years into this industry, uh, you can't reach that top rung so early. That's, that's probably you know, tip number one. And then tip number two might be to have an exit strategy. I've always, right. always kind of leaned, you know, leaned, on, leaned on that idea as well. It's like, all right, if this doesn't work out or if I become miserable, what's going to be next? And we're, that's the other part is we're, we're in an industry where you just need a high school diploma to get into it. And then what happens when you're five, 10 years in and you have no other options because you have no other career uh, uh, background or nothing else to fall. It doesn't have to be a degree, but uh, what happens when you're five, 10 years in and you hate it and you want to get out, but you have no options. Right. You know? Right. So always having that plan B. Yeah. You know, I will tell you this, man, I would have never have guessed that I would be moving into ministry as no. a career choice. No, it, it took a lot of us by surprise. Um, <laughs> well, no, I mean, so again, we, we grew up in EMS together and, um, you know, we hung out socially. And so I, I right. feel like I know you pretty well. Uh, our families hung out. We took our kids trick or treating together. So again, I, I feel like I know you pretty well. And that was just never, in that time of our lives, it was never a conversation. It was never something right. that you brought up or even said that you were interested in. Uh, but, you know, I, again, I, I, I've been following you and I, uh, you know, I, I love that you found this. I do. And I, and I can see that it's, you're passionate about it. Yeah, it's what what was and I know we're short on time and maybe we maybe we save this for a different conversation, but I'd love to hear that path. Like where where did that come from? Man, I can so kind of the abridged version is just Brian Holcomb, you know Brian, mm-hmm. would just encourage me to come to the church to where we go now, Freedom Center in yeah. Benton. And he would just say great things are happening and I went and it was just the way the gospel message was delivered mm-hmm. was so different. You know, you have a senior pastor who's telling that he was, you know, alcoholic and homeless and, and all this stuff. And it just becomes like, wait a minute, this isn't some guy that's at this level of Christianity that we'll never achieve. This is a regular dude telling this story. And then straight away, Carrie and I went to Romania on a mission trip. And then we came back from that and got baptized together and like real, truly. So baptized on a Sunday, I go back on shift on that Wednesday. And it was really the first time that I had ever recognized the humanity in the city. Mm -hmm. 
had all just been problems to solve, just running calls, yeah. chasing stuff. And then I really saw the humanity and just started pressing in. Yeah. And a few years ago, started doing Bible college and stuff like that. Yeah, that's great. That's, that's great. it. And I, I'd love to be a fly on the wall. You know, I, that, that conversation between you and Carrie, where you're just like, yeah, I think this is, this is where I belong and, and her as well. Right. It's all very, it's, it's been so cool, mm-hmm. especially for her to see her move into that education piece. Yeah. You know, so, and then coming up shortly next month, we start having house church gatherings here. I love it. So, well, keep on, man. I, 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 I love seeing my friends uh, become successful, staying successful. Absolutely. Finding their place Appreciate in the world. That. And, uh, support everything you're doing, Jim. Right on. I appreciate it. Well, thanks again for coming on. I'm like the worst planner ever. So usually when I have a guest, it's on short notice. So sure. I appreciate good. it. It's all good. So, uh, uh, you know, hopefully people will be able to look back and be like, oh yeah, that was one of the early episodes before they blew up and got big. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We're at a hundred and something now. So yeah. it just blows my mind. So did I, did you get that uh, TikTok I forwarded you? Yeah. Was, yeah. So, I mean, you guys are getting hurt. I don't know who that girl is, but there was a, a flight, a flight nurse or flight paramedic that did a TikTok, and it was just, uh, you know, here's the top five podcasts I listened to. And it was all the major ones. And number five was Lighthouse Experiment. Now she very well might be a, a, a Michigan person, but uh, right. that means your reach is expanding. That's pretty so, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was neat too. Anyways, I'll right. see your time, man. But uh, thanks again, Jim. Absolutely. Thanks everyone for listening. Check us out on the socials. See you next time.